Hello and welcome to the Hill's Digital Health Podcast. The Hill is the digital health transformation catalyst based at Oxford University Hospitals. We're working to help the NHS make the most of digital innovation. We do this in three ways. We work with innovators to help them develop their digital health ideas and products and make them relevant to the NHS. We work with clinical teams to understand needs, engage them in digital innovation, increase digital skills and adopt innovation. And finally, we collaborate with many partners, bringing together multiple organisations to form a digital health ecosystem. You're listening to the Hills series on clinical entrepreneurs, our clinical colleagues who have decided to start up a business or social enterprise. My name is Megan Morris-Carter, Director of the Hill, and today I am joined by Amy Davis and Fazana Rahman, who are co-founders of Hexarad. Amy, Fazana, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. Amy, would you like to start by introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your clinical role as well as your role in the company? Thanks, Megan. Um, so as you say, I'm Amy. I am a radiologist by background and co-founder of Hexarad. My role in the company is chief commercial officer, so heading up marketing and sales, essentially. And Fazana, what about you? So, yeah, like Amy, I'm a radiologist by background as well. Uh, I used to be a consultant at University College Hospital in London, but I now do Hexarad full time and uh, I'm the co-founder and uh, CEO. Thank you, both of you, and, and welcome. Amy, I think you might be in a good position to tell us a bit more about Hexarad and, and what problem it solves. So Hexarad is a radiology company we are founded and managed by radiologists so as a team of four founders we're all radiologists who train together in London and essentially saw a, saw a problem within radiology in you know there are not enough radiologists the amount of work happening um, and scanning increasing every year and and one of the solutions is teleradiology so that's the reporting of scans in a location separate to where the scans are performed and we have formed a radiologist-led teleradiology company, um, not only providing remote reporting services, but also building some technology and some software that helps uh, manage the workflow of radiology to get the right scan to the right radiologist at the right time, which helps improve and streamline the efficiency within radiology departments. We've developed a software product called Opturad, which manages the workflow within radiology departments to try and streamline and make it more efficient so counterintuitive to the company we started potentially would reduce the amount of outsourcing a hospital needs to do um, so quite a holistic solution to the problem where we're also there to support them with a remote reporting service should they need it. And it's pretty obvious I think that the amount of imaging that goes on in the NHS is huge and increasing and that it takes a long time to train radiologists and it's a finite resource, isn't it? Yeah, there's not really a quick fix. You can't really train enough radiologists in time. As you say, it takes a long time to train radiologists. Also, it's very difficult to increase the training numbers because there's nowhere for them to train. Um, you know, each trainee will need to have consultants available for support and supervision and for teaching and training. And they will need workstations within a hospital and technology that comes with that. So it's not quite as easy as just increasing the training places. There has to be a lot of support around that. And the Royal College is doing really a really good job at trying to promote increasing training numbers amongst radiologists. But as you say, 
there will be a delay in the time that takes to try and help solve the problem. And the, there's due to be a shortfall of radiologists predicted in the next couple of years of about 3,000 for the UK. And to put that into context, there's only currently about 4,500 radiologists in the country. So it's, it's going to become a much more significant problem than it is now. So it does need people are looking at trying to address that problem in, in different ways. And we feel that just providing the reporting solution isn't really enough. We'd like to try and address the whole problem where we can. Fazana, I wonder if you'd like to come in at this point and tell us a bit about the story of the business. How did you go about deciding what to do and how did you build the company to the size it is now? The four of us, we actually met when we were registrars together, trading at St George's in London. And at that point, which which feels like 100 years ago, but isn't probably about 2013, 2014, we could see the problem that Amy talked about, this increasing number of scans and not enough radiologists to report those scans. And we would see that manifest in our own day-to-day practice, delays in patients getting their scans and their results. Uh, Personal stories, for example, um, a friend of mine, her father had a very delayed diagnosis of a cancer recurrence because of the backlogs um, where he had his scan in terms of reporting. So we could see quite early on that it was definitely a pretty significant problem. And we liked the idea of being part of a solution. So we thought of creating a company which was founded in strong cultural values, which always put the patient first, which had clinically led innovation. And that's kind of what started Hexarad. And we moved into the reporting side of things pretty early on. Uh, We had a partnership with Alliance Medical, who are a large scanning provider, and that helped to get the business off the ground. And since then, there still remain a customer, but we've expanded um, quite significantly now. So you know, we went from a team of four. I think we now have about 15 employees and we have close to 50 radiologists uh, reporting scans from around the country. And, and I noticed you raised a pretty large first investment round as, as well, sort of almost more like a Series A than a seed. How did that go and what were the challenges with that? Yeah, so it's funny when you start a business the way that we did, we we just raised we waited as long as we could until we until we had to raise investment so you're right it's it's probably more like a series a than a seed but you know the classification is quite difficult the fundraising process it was interesting and we learned a lot we found some great investors um, and by the end of the cycle we had had quite a lot of interest but certainly at the beginning it was you know required speaking to a lot of people and really trying to explain the problem and the solution that we had and we're so immersed within the space and we understand this problem so well so for us it was an opportunity to step back and just start from the beginning and explain the problem in a really simple way so it was it was a lot of hard work but we found I think a really great group of investors our lead investor is Foresight and they've been very supportive and great so far. How did you go about bootstrapping the company before raising that investment? You know, was it a case of just not taking a salary yourselves? Did you manage to raise some grant funding or how, how did you manage to kind of get through that, that first hurdle? Just through uh, really hard work. <laughs> I think it was sheer bloody mindedness, not taking a salary, working really hard and actually having to do everything yourself. And so I think the beginning of of any company there is actually we were talking about this the other day there's quite a lot of drudge that goes into it just to get it off the ground there is that moment where you've had this really exciting idea 
And then there is the having to, to actually start creating something. And that very quickly goes from really exciting to actually a lot of hard work. And at times it can be a lot of drudge and a little bit tedious. So I think once you, you have to almost expect it and know that you're going to go through it, but then the exciting stuff to happen. So it was us pretty much learning new skills and doing everything ourselves. And that was really useful because we bootstrapped the company, but then we could also see exactly what we needed. And as we brought, brought people on, we could be very clear about what we expected. So, and you obviously get to a point where you, you won't know everything, particularly, you know, on the tech side of things, you bring in experts, but it's helped us really understand the foundations and fundamental parts of the business. The other thing it was really useful for, um, and one of our co-founders, Sam, always says this, that if you build something yourself first, even if it's not scalable um, and not not what you envisage the final product, it gives you a really good understanding of what you need and what you want out of the final product. And because we were all working in the NHS pretty much full time when we when we founded Hexarad, um, we didn't have huge amounts of time to run a business. And that is what led us to building Optirad, the workflow management tool that we, a software product that we can now offer to the NHS for improved efficiency within radiology departments. And that's because we had to have a really efficient way of working because we didn't have the manpower and the time. We didn't, we weren't paying ourselves a salary. We couldn't really afford to bring staff on at that point. But if we hadn't gone through that bootstrapping phase we wouldn't have come out with a really great software product at the end and we've used that internally in our company and that has proved really beneficial we we now manage to have our average report turnaround time is around 21 to 23 hours which is really fast for the industry and the the kind of contracts we have the turnaround times are 72 hours to five days so you know we're, we're well ahead of what our customers expect of us and because we are using the tool to get our reports performed by subspecialty radiologists, it means that the quality is also really high. And so learning the process from the ground up in that way and having to build in efficiencies to help us manage, you know, bootstrapping a startup whilst also working in the NHS to try and keep a roof over our heads um, has actually led to some really great innovation for the company. you're absolutely right there that doing something yourself first and then working out what's hard and and what's not and what you might need to get someone to do and what you're asking them to do in a way is is really Mm. important we we often talk about this when we're talking about financial models for example because a lot of entrepreneurs particularly clinical entrepreneurs have a specialty that isn't finance and would really rather (laughs) not become accountants Um, and that's perfectly reasonable and and, you know it's quite likely that an accountant might be one of the, the people that you bring in fairly early on in a business to do your accounts if if you feel the need to but the point is is if you have created the financial model yourself and you played with um, the numbers then you understand what the dependencies are you understand the assumptions you put into that model you can talk really articulately with investors about the finances and what happens if you manage to get double the number of customers next year than you were expecting and so it's really important, I think, to have, have done that yourself with your product, with your finances, with your business as a whole, before you then hand it over to someone else and, and get them to do it for you. We're very lucky that one of our co-founders, Sam, was in a previous life before he retrained as a doctor, was a structured product commodities trader in oil and gas. So we, we have somebody on the founding team who loves spreadsheets and um, loves to do financial models. And, um, you know, that I think that is what helped us be able to bootstrap for so long. 
because it's certainly something that is difficult to pick up and learn on the fly and definitely requires expertise for you to get it right. <laughs> yeah, we got really lucky having Sam on the team. It is such a unique skill set that when we went out for investment, because because that used to be Sam's job. So his, his modeling skills are actually incredibly advanced. So then we had to explain to investors how a radiologist could build such a sophisticated financial model. And that used to be an, an oil trader, <laughs> which always made it very interesting. Yeah, I can imagine you probably had to explain that one. Otherwise, they might have thought you were pulling a fast one somehow. Um, exactly. And, and then they wonder why the, a company's got a radiologist as a chief financial officer. But that's why. <laughs> I know you mentioned that you all met as clinical colleagues, effectively. But it, it seems like there's also there is a bit of diversity then in the skill set in terms of it's not just radiology. Uh, what makes you work well together as a, as a team, do you think? I suppose the fundamental thing is that we we really share and believe the same values, but we think really differently. So for the important stuff, the things that you have to be aligned on, we're very aligned. So always putting the patient first, the importance of teamwork and working with integrity are all fundamental to not just how we run the business, but who we are as people. What makes it really good is that we each approach a problem in a completely different way. And we, I think, allow each other to express those differences. And, and you know, when, when we disagree about something, we have a, an open way of communicating. And so I think having that combination of shared values, but thinking differently and approaching problems differently helps to prevent that group think that you can get if you're all very, very aligned on absolutely everything. That's absolutely the principle, I think, of a good startup team is diversity of thought, and of skill set, but a shared vision and shared values yeah. that you can all come together and agree what you're actually trying to do, even though you approach it in different ways. We also have quite a variety of how keen we are with risk. So Fazana and I are very much into it. We, we're quite um, risk takers, I guess you would say. Um, whereas Jay and Sam, the other half of the founding team, are very much risk averse and so it's quite good because Fazana and I will push them to their limits and they bring us back down to earth so it works really well in that sense. So how did you decide upon the culture of the company and how did you build that culture? It's funny because we were just talking about this today actually the importance of culture and and what it means. When we started then culture feels almost like quite a soft idea that's quite difficult to articulate so when you work in a hospital for example you'll see the values of a hospital on the website or maybe when you walk into the hospital in my old hospital they used to be printed on the wall as you walked in but that was the only time that you would really see them and I think when you work in the NHS there is a culture of always putting the patient first anyway that you inherit wherever you work but when we started the company we we realised quite quickly as we expanded that we needed to articulate the things that we just naturally were aligned with, probably what brought us together. So we spent quite a lot of time working on our six core values, because Hexrad so six, so hence why there are six values. Uh, teamwork, innovation, equality, quality, integrity and being patient-centred. And we have an exercise that we do with at any big meeting, so our weekly 
kind of exec meeting um, in our board meeting and in all of the smaller group breakout staff meetings where at the beginning of each session then someone talks about how they've lived one of our values that week so it gives gives an actual example and so we call that our living the values exercise and we started that when it was just the few of us and as we expanded we incorporated that into the team to the point where you know our investors now listen to us do it at a board meeting and it has made a really really big difference because you kind of go from values being a bit of an abstract concept because teamwork isn't you know that's very broad but when you start to think about how you lived a value that week then it becomes more real and I think that certainly helped us develop a strong culture I think you know like the challenge we're going to have as we expand and we're growing quickly is to make sure we preserve that. Amy brought up this exact example when we were running the team building and culture session in on the accelerator program and I think everyone was very impressed actually with the courage to put those values front and center and to make it a part of your company culture that you do that because so often I think people perhaps shy away from that or they feel a bit uncomfortable being so obvious about it or they don't really know where to start and and actually if you do do it I think it becomes part of the culture it just becomes something you do and everyone gets very comfortable with it and as you say it reinforces what you're trying to achieve in terms of the values of the company. Exactly right we all felt a little bit awkward when we first started doing it and now it's become a really nice thing where people it gives people the opportunity to be proud of some of the work that they've achieved that week or to you know um, be proud of a piece of work that somebody else has done or and it it does make people proud of the company that they're working for it's quite it, it's become a really nice thing that people look forward to doing and you know often there's multiple people who want the opportunity to share and so I would say to other people who are thinking about doing it if you do it for the first month or so and it feels a bit awkward it's like any kind of habit once you get used to it becomes more normal and, um, and then it becomes something really actually very helpful and productive. And because other people in other parts of the business will learn things that they wouldn't otherwise know were happening and you, you share ideas and learning with each other as well. So it's a good opportunity for lots of different reasons. And we don't ever skip it. I think that's what's quite, even when we're really busy and we're a bit tired, when we start a, a call or a meeting, and even when it's really busy, in our busiest weeks, we don't skip the values. And that's exactly as Amy said, it's because we just got into the habit and even though it felt really awkward, we just persisted. And so now it does, it's, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. You just, you just, you just do it. It's exactly aligned with how you get innovation into an organisation really, isn't it? You know, the adoption of innovation is all about making it a habit, effectively building it into people's habits and practices and the way they do things and the pathways that they use so that it becomes very easy to click the right button or very easy to um, do the right thing. I know that you you also do a number of charitable works in addition to your sort of commercial activities with the, with the company, which is, I guess, an, another expression of your values, really. Can, can you tell us a bit more about those and why they're important to you? Um, yeah, so we, as Fazana mentioned earlier, the founding team all have very similar values individually as people, which shines through in our company values. But it's just something we all felt quite strongly about we've done two really great bits of charitable work I think one of them is partnering with a company called RadAid who are US-based but a global radiology charity who look to improve the provision of radiology resources in poorer nations and and not in the sense of they'll you know buy a CT scanner and plonk it in a hospital somewhere because 
lots of charities you know can do that and companies will do that but it doesn't really facilitate the ongoing support and learning and provision that you need you you know if if a fuse blows in a ct scanner they wouldn't have somebody who would change it or know how to use it so it's more than just providing equipment it's providing teaching training knowledge resources um, so it's a really good and important charity, particularly because radiology is becoming so um, paramount in all aspects of patient care. And so one of the first things we did when we partnered with, with RadAid was we sponsored a doctor um, from Malawi to go and to undertake his radiology training in South Africa, um, because there isn't a radiology training program for him in Malawi. I think, you know, he'll be one of a handful of radiologists in the whole country when he He's actually, I think, just completing his training this year. And we're part of a group of people who work with the charity who who, who sponsored his activities in, in South Africa. Um, and, you know, that will make a sizable difference for his home nation when he goes back and he is able to um, provide radiology services that otherwise, you know, they just didn't have the expertise there before. What we're hoping to do is provide sort of hands-on teaching um, in local areas and to go and visit some places and for our radiologists who work with us, we, you know, potentially we would sponsor them to go and provide some teaching and training locally. Um, we have provided some online lectures and teaching and training. Um, but now that we're coming out of COVID and travel is easing again, that's something that we'll be looking at. I'll, I'll let Fazana tell you more about our scholarship. Yeah, so we created the Hexaran Scholarship. It was after we read an open letter by the Afro-Caribbean Society at St George's Medical School in London. And... The letter was really quite moving and depressing and very brave and talked about the racism that a lot of the black students faced at medical school at St. George's. This was in 2020. And so we reached out to them and we talked about ways we could help support less privileged medical students. And so working with them, we came up with the Hexrad Scholarship and that's specifically focusing on students who are from a BAME background who didn't go to private school, who haven't had doctors in their family, so but are medical students, and to give them support as they kind of navigate their undergraduates. There's been quite a lot of evidence about postgraduate access for medical students and doctors. And so for the scholarship, we had a competition where people had to write an essay and the winner receives a bursary of a thousand pounds which they can use towards a project that they've done in radiology and that sponsors any conference kind of costs like presenting work abroad uh, but the main thing is is that they get supported by the Royal College of Radiologists and they also get support by to create the project and to have supervision as that's for the winners the winner and then the runner-ups um, they received uh, a variety of prizes but also a part of a mentoring scheme that we've set up where we've matched all the people who are runners up as well as the winner with a radiologist um, to help kind of guide and support them if they want that support. So I guess the, the purpose is really to support those students who maybe don't have as much access to resource even though they are medical students and to give them access to support within radiology. So we're going to be doing that every year going forward I actually had my first um, mentor session this morning which was it was really nice actually it was really nice to talk to somebody going through sim because um, the chap I spoke to obviously was one of our applicants um, and 
for the four of us, it was quite important to us because we all meet the criteria of the application in some way. And so it was quite nice to kind of talk to somebody and support them through the difficulties they were having going through medical school when you feel a little bit like the odd one out when you, you know, your, doc- your parents aren't doctors or you came from a state school and you can't afford the ski trip with the ski club every year, you know, that kind of thing. And just to let them know that actually when you become a, a doctor when you get through med school a lot of that stuff doesn't really make much difference and to give them com- some kind of positive role models not that I would call myself a role model but you know to understand people who have been through it um and come out the other side and actually we're all the same it hasn't made a huge amount of difference and you know to just strive for what you want to achieve that's fantastic yeah that, I think that that mentoring piece is super important isn't it and I often hear people say to us about things like our market access accelerator that the mentoring component is one of the the most valuable pieces and that even just getting to know peers who are slightly further ahead on a particular path than you are, um, in this case, perhaps on the radiology career path, but also if you're setting up a business, then someone who's, you know, just raised slightly more money than you have or is slightly further down that that path of of setting up a business can be really, really helpful because it just gives you... um, a light at the end of the tunnel I suppose a, a glimpse of what the future might look like and I think that's that's really helpful one of the things that that I'm very keen on is to make sure that our programs include everyone and have a diversity of representation and I'm always very careful to make sure that you know when we're looking at speakers or role models or mentors that we try and have as diverse a cohort as possible so that everyone has someone that they might identify with but I'm, I'm wondering if you can think of other ways in which we could particularly support that community. I think one of the things actually is, yeah, definitely having the diversity of, of thought, as you said, but maybe people being quite open and honest about their backgrounds. So it's really nice to have, like if, if let's say Amy was speaking, you probably wouldn't know that she went to a state school or that she felt maybe a little bit out of place at medical school, unless there was a forum in which that was said and I think as we were going through the scholarship process I found that quite interesting so I think it's definitely about having that range of speakers but I think it's also about perhaps giving a forum for those speakers to talk about their challenges because someone might look like you but you won't necessarily be able to relate to them or there might be someone who doesn't look anything like you at all but actually they've had really similar life experiences or they've got an element of their background that you could relate to so I think Amy you talked about you know, that kind of access program when you started medical school. And I remember with at least one of the people we talked to, they were like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I did an access program. I understand that. But if we hadn't had that conversation, they never would have known. On the back of our scholarship, one thing we didn't mention was that we did we did host a, a webinar, which was one of the things that had come out through the discussion with the with the Afro-Caribbean Society at St George's when, when we were setting it up that might be useful. And we decided to open it out as an open invite. So not just the people who had applied to the scholarship, but anybody who wanted to join. And when we were thinking about what would be useful to have in that webinar, we, you know, we had we had somebody come and talk about research and, you know, do, and people were talking about kind of their career trajectories. But every single person who spoke at, at the webinar did exactly as Fazana's just described, talked about their background their route from school to you know where they are in their career now and the different trials and tribulations that they'd faced for whatever reason be it financial race um you know not knowing the right people the network all of that kind of thing or sometimes all of the above 
And I think a lot of those stories are really inspirational when you hear them. I think people are a little bit shy and hesitant to talk about things like that. I think when you're in medicine in particular as a career, if you are different to the norm, it's quite difficult. And then everybody tries to be the same. So, you know, everybody's like really hardworking. Everybody's bright. Who's got in, you know, there's lots of reasons why they're kind of just head down working obviously everybody's a little bit competitive to have gotten through such a tough process to get into medical school so then people don't like to show their vulnerabilities I think and actually even with my when my mentor session this morning I gave an example of um, how I went to a big radiology conference as a first or second I think I was a first year radiology registrar because I'd had a paper accepted I thought it was going to be like the make or break of my radiology career but I was on maternity leave at the time and still breastfeeding. So I had to travel on my maternity leave and stop breastfeeding early to make it to this conference. And it has not made the blindest bit of difference to my career at all. No one cares that I had a paper at RSNA. So, um, you know, what I felt was really important as a first year registrar was not at all. And if I'd had somebody mentor me, say to me, actually, it's more important just to stay at home with your baby, I probably would have just stayed at home. Not that I regret it. I had a great time. I had a week away from the kids. So, you know, it was lovely. <laughs> but it's just those kind of conversations, I think, probably don't happen enough. I think that's absolutely fair. And I, I think I've definitely become more aware of that as I've become more secure in my professional position. I think mm. like I've taken both of my children as babies to several conferences. I've, you know, um, had them on calls with me for the last day, 18 months for sure. And, and in a way I, I like to do that because I feel it shows that you can be a whole person, you can be a parent and a professional and that those two things don't have to conflict and they're actually just two parts of, of, of who you are. But certainly, I think in the early part of my career, I spent quite a long time effectively trying to forget that I was a woman because I was mm. in fairly male dominated industries. And I just wanted people to treat me as an individual and a professional and to ignore my personal background and who I might be as a person. And so in, in a way, I think it's quite healthy that we are now more capable of talking about these things and showing that role model for people who would like to see that someone else has done the same thing or taken the similar sort of path. Yeah, and I think as well, when you're talking about, I think, showing vulnerability in leadership, I think Brené Brown talks about this quite a lot. And it's within medicine. Also, I think as you're starting a business or, you know, you're in that startup culture, like it's really hard raising money. Like it's hard and at times it's really tiring and you might lose your confidence. And in fact, you probably don't see that. You'll see the announcement at the end where you'll see, oh, you know, so-and-so company, you'll see a press release, you know, raise this much funding. And actually, when you speak to most founders, everyone, everyone says the same thing. Oh, yeah, you know, raising money was hard. We found it hard. And maybe when you have more of those conversations, it, it makes it easier for everybody. I know one or two of our mentors on the accelerator have had some quite challenging experiences of, uh, of raising investment. Amy, I'd like to just touch upon your experience with the Accelerator and what benefits you got from that, because I know you're in the current cohort of the Hills Accelerator. You're almost at the end of the journey. How have you found it and and how has it helped you? One of the things I love the most about it is the networking and the meeting people who are like minded very much along the same kind of vein we've just been discussing is the support and the kind of well-being aspect. It's a group of like minded people all seem to be striving for, you know, improved patient care, improved patient outcomes. 
and all in very similar positions with everybody helping each other out. It didn't feel like there was any competition amongst the cohorts. I mean, we're all doing very different things as well, which helps. And, you know, making good friends, I guess you would say, from people that you've met. You know, I'm in regular contact with a few people on there. Some people, you know, whose ideas I just love that I want want to help them and see them succeed and you know vice versa people getting in touch saying oh have you seen this have you seen that so I always think one of the best things about these kind of programs is the people that you meet and the networks that you build and the support that you get and then obviously the lectures are great some insights into how the NHS works and how to do various different bits like fundraising and the support from the mentors is really good so I actually came across it kind of not not by accident I guess but I wasn't aware of the hill until um, because I wasn't really on much social media until becoming CCO of Hexarad and then now we have you know we've got a social media presence so I've had to get into LinkedIn and (laughs) and Twitter and um, you know try and build an online community and it was there that I saw a post from somebody who I'd connected to recommending the hill um, because they were on the cohort in a previous year and it was somebody who I'd you know seen and followed on LinkedIn and so I thought, oh, OK, I'll have a look, give it a go. And I, I think I've gotten to that point in my career as well about, you know, being a bit more confident that I, maybe five, six, seven years ago, I wouldn't have thought I would get in. So I probably wouldn't have applied. But so if anyone listening is thinking about applying, I would say always apply for everything, because, you know, even if you don't get it, the experience of applying is brilliant. And really glad that I did because obviously I did get in so um so it was it was good but I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of a bit more confident in myself now that if you if I hadn't been accepted onto the hill I would have just dusted myself and moved on to the next one because I was you know confident in our idea and our business but it it turns out that so were you guys so <laughs> thank you for the support very much well deserved Amy I think and I think it's also fair to say that it's absolutely right that you should definitely apply to these things because you never know what someone's going to see in your idea you never know who's going to suddenly you know have that light bulb moment and think actually this is really something I want to support and also many of the companies that don't are not successful in the accelerator because we can't take everyone we do still point them in the direction of other sources of support they come to our general community events they might apply again next year you know they they interact with us in a lot of other ways and so I think even if you don't end up getting onto the program we're still then much more aware of your business because we've Mm -hmm. taken you through the interview process and we understand a bit more about what you're doing so you you've come a long way with with Hexarad what what's next for the company and for you guys as co-founders we're actually uh, we're just really enjoying this moment you know it feels like this year has been really successful for us we've raised money you know a lot of us have dropped down from the NHS so we're most of the founders are now only working one day a week in the NHS Bazaar's full-time in Hexarad and um, so we've made a real commitment to the company and to build it and grow it we've got a brilliant team who work with us we're maintaining our culture and values and if anything they're getting stronger day by day that's really lovely to see and we're all just really enjoying this journey and excited for the future to see where it holds where it where it takes us and we've signed quite a few new contracts this year we've broken into the NHS market which is really exciting actually broken outside of the UK market as well with we're global (laughs) with with a contract in Ireland but it's the Republic of Ireland so it counts as us being global so that's quite exciting and yeah, just what, what we'd really like to do in the future is um, is develop our technology a bit more. So the software that I mentioned earlier, Opturad, 
um, that really helps with the uh, radiology workflow management and streamlining efficiency in departments, I think is going to be essential moving forwards in the NHS because there's a plan to build imaging networks. So multiple hospitals plugging in together to share resources and share workload across the region. And it's not very well managed in most hospitals when it's a single hospital. And so if you try and extrapolate that across a region where people don't even necessarily know each other, haven't met before, don't know who's in the hospital, what they can report, it's just going to get more and more confusing and won't necessarily help the problem as much as if you had a way to manage that workflow. Um, and I think some of the tech that we've built will solve that problem. So that's kind of the future, I think, is looking forward to the tech and, and just continued growth. And the most important thing is enjoying our jobs and enjoying going to work and enjoying being part of a, a founding team. Would you agree with that, Fazana? Yeah, I think Amy said it all. I guess the other, the other thing that's really changed for us this year, I think will have a big impact on the future, is we brought on a new CTO, so a, a new addition to our exec team. So he's called Tim Baker, um, software developer, uh, incredibly bright and has already brought so much. So I think, as Amy said, just that focus on tech, but really people. It does sound like Hexarad is very much a company that values its people and has built a fantastic culture to, to drive forward the product, which is amazing. Can we close with some top tips from you guys for aspiring clinical entrepreneurs? What, what sort of advice do you have for someone following in your footsteps? I would say go for it. Ignore the haters. You'll always get some. I was a bit naive. I thought everyone would just be really lovely and supportive. But actually, we've had a few negative comments. If, if you're happy and confident in what you're doing, just go for it. And we know that, you know, we, we our values are strong and, and enjoy the ride. Um, I'm also a little bit or very much an optimist. There's a bit of a running joke in the company about how I'm just always, always see the bright side. And um, I think that you do need to be either thick skinned, naively optimistic or incredibly tenacious to have a clinical startup or any kind of startup, I guess, because there will be loads of setbacks. And even at the time, I don't ever see them as setbacks. I'm just like, oh, OK, let's carry on. We'll just do it this way or something better will happen. I think Fazana is very similar to me in that sense. Yeah, just don't give up. Just go for it. And every setback is really a learning opportunity. It's just it's just diverting you to a better path and and that's certainly been like you know some of the tech we've developed has been a, as a result of stuff not going right so it really is a learning opportunity and you know there are times when you might doubt yourself there are times when you're trying to explain to investors how great your idea is and they just don't get it but just just keep going <laughs> you know you've um if you've managed to get that far just have faith in yourself fantastic yeah a message of tenacity and determination and being thick-skinned is a fantastic way to end this, I think. And very much enjoyed our conversation about culture and values and how to value your people and how to get the best out of them as well. Thank Amy, you. Fazana, thank you ever so much for your time today. Really appreciated having you on the podcast. And uh, it was great to hear about Hexarad and all the great things you have ahead of you. Thanks, Thanks for you. having us. You've been listening to Amy Davis and Fazana Rahman from Hexarad as part of our Clinical Entrepreneurs Series. If you're interested in applying for our Market Access Accelerator in 2022, please do reach out to us at www.thehilloxford.org or connect with any member of the team on LinkedIn. And we'd be very happy to take your expression of interest 
with applications opening in the new year.